0: Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular, or at least their sense of it. They can only act within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Now, things might seem stuck at any one moment, and only later you realize that the tides had turned. Uh, Compromises on small issues that no one cares about today can become major sources of controversy later. And today we're going to talk about some of those changes and what moves things over time. And I'm going to do this with Dawson Bell, a retired reporter with the Detroit Free Press, who's covered Michigan's capital for 35 years. Dawson, Happy to be here. Uh, Tell me about what was different in Michigan in the late 80s.
1: Well, uh, we were at that point emerging from the uh, long process of uh, breaking up the status quo um, that had uh, pretty much characterized the whole post-war era, um, long-serving governors long-serving long, long serving legislators, um, total domination of the Democratic Party by organized labor, especially the UAW
0: uh,
1: and Detroit. Uh, I can recall uh, being told when I arrived in Lansing in uh, 1987 that... Uh, of course I worked for a Detroit-based newspaper but we were essentially, you know, uh, I always thought of as the premier newspaper for the state of Michigan and I uh, I was given to understand that that Detroit uh, interests ruled the roost in, in in Lansing and that had been true under governors uh, Williams and Romney and Milliken, and uh, when I arrived, uh, James, Democrat James Blanchard was the governor. Um, but I noticed that things were shifting fairly rapidly at that time. You know, as as Detroit had lost uh, population in in fairly dramatic terms in the eighty and, and the auto industry. Had been in a period of restructuring and decline. And um, uh, the, the, the fairly quickly after I arrived, the, uh, the Republicans uh, had essentially taken advantage of all that. And then Senate Majority Leader John Engler was positioning himself for a run for governor in 1990. And uh, over the course of the next decade or so, that whole dynamic kind of flipped, and and the dominance of you know with the election of Engler in '90, and um, you know by the mid '90s, uh, Republicans also assumed control of the state house, um, uh, essentially had um, uniparty control there. Um, Detroit and organized labor uh, took a significant backseat. And then, of course, we had term limits that came along. I forget which election that was, 92, maybe?
0: I, I think they were implemented in 94, but I could be mistaken, And which is a shame because I just wrote a, a paper about the, the change to term limits and I couldn't remember. Well, That's all right. Well, that, of course,
1: that of course you know, swept out uh, you know we we had uh, lawmakers especially that had been there for decades um that suddenly were ushered to the door although you know most of them didn't go very far um and, you know it, it became a, a you know the whole set of interests and initiatives um had had flipped where uh, tax cuts became um a, a driving agenda item for Republicans and, and uh, education reform. You know, we had the big charter uh, proposal, A property tax, and and uh, education initiatives. When was that? Was that ninety
0: four? That was yeah. uh, that was in the early nineties. <laughs> I'm still pretty young at the time. Mm-hmm. But, uh... They were talking about that in elementary. Yeah. School. Well, they're still talking about it. Um,
1: so you know it, it, yeah. uh, it, it, it. But again, you know, um, as as it sort of relates to your intro about how, um, uh, it's very difficult for for politicians to deliver on promises they made. That the changes tended to be more incremental, even when we thought they were quite. Earth-shattering, um, you know, charter schools um, was sort of a revolutionary idea in in that period, and we thought opening the door to them could usher in sweeping changes in the whole public education infrastructure. And um, much as I'd like to believe otherwise, I'm not entirely clear. Uh, you know, it's not it's not clear to me anyway that that's actually that's actually happened.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I I do want to dig in on to that a little bit, but I want to come back to something that you said, uh, which is, you know, back then your unions were huge. Detroit was the center of everything. And the auto industry was the thing that you had to protect. Like you couldn't do the things that, uh, that, that would harm them. And, you know, even in the late eighties, like it, it wasn't as if the auto industry was leading Michigan to, you know, uh, nation-leading growth. Like uh, auto, like auto jobs peaked, I believe, in the '70s. They haven't come back. And in the '80s, I think some people were starting to recognize that this is not how Michigan's going to uh, going to continue to grow. And 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 in fact, when you look at um, what what's happened since then? The auto industry has not been the place where where people are looking to to uh, to grow the uh, the state's jobs. Um, was that like a reassessment that the public was having that letting uh, like led to some changes in leadership? Uh, led uh, uh, led to Ingler tax cuts uh, tax cuts charter schools and whatnot, or was or was that? Um, uh, or did people just still think that, like, look, Michigan is, is so dependent on the auto industry, we have to defer to them in setting our policies? Well,
1: uh, I mean, the uh, the notion that Michigan was over reliant on the auto industry uh, goes back at least as far as the Milliken governorship, um, and there was there had been mm-hmm. talk about how. We needed to um, uh, invest. I guess is the word they love to use in government, but emphasize that uh, nurture um, alternatives that would make us less reliant on what was, as you point out, a uh, essentially stagnant sector of the economy. Um, but, the, but. That they remained, um, that industry writ large, as in the corporations, the suppliers, uh, the, the n- number of employees, and the organized labor that purported to represent those employees, still still maintain a, um, a. We're still a, a, a very influential force and uh i think they remain so today i mean we um we, we've seen you know that that they showered the industry with with the tax incentives and turn you know uh grants and and um, and you know what uh, essentially we're trying you know it's not like the auto industry. It's not like the auto industry at any time in this period ever really wanted something and didn't get it from state government.
0: Yeah. Well, so when I was looking at some of the history of that, I was actually surprised at what I found. Which is, yeah, today, like, we're writing General Motors a check for six hundred billion dollars of taxpayer money. Uh, They asked for it, they got it, and very few people said no to it. But it wasn't until the 90s, even, that we were writing checks to these big companies. Uh, Before that... Uh, I don't know exactly what was going on I mean there's still there's always a desire from politicians to do something about jobs to diversify the economy to to make sure that we're securing our economic futures you know that kind of thing always plays well it's really important people want to live in a growing state and politicians feel like they need to do something to encourage growth but you didn't used to have to do that with large checks, like you do it through job training programs, or, you know, maybe a little bit of uh, some tax preferences here and there, but not this huge, uh, these huge payments to select companies. What, what do you think is going on there? Because I could never understand, like, like, if there's this desire to, to foster industry is, is so large today, and it was back then too, why do we do it with so much more cash than we used to do? Well,
1: the tendency, I think, is to believe that it makes a difference, despite um, a fairly large Mm -hmm. body of evidence to the contrary. Um, You know, it's like, uh, I I think we kind of lost our faith over the course of the 70s and 80s in economic dynamism Writ large, it's just uh, you know the notion that 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 uh, people, in, individuals, and associations and corporations, private interests, um, were the best stewards of their own resources, has been under pretty much sustained uh well it's the same skepticism and downright hostility um over that time i think at this moment in time it's uh, that's actually even more true than it was in the nineteen eighties um they they just they you know i i i guess uh, you know there's a lot smarter people than me have have analyzed these, these dynamics and uh, you know there's deep rooted psychological reasons why politicians um, you know they can't take they can't take credit for for uh, growth and prosperity that they didn't have much of a hand in and it's a sort of it, it's a uh, it, 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 they, the 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 urge to do something is is overwhelming for most people in elected office. Even though even though you know they you know the areas of 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 uh, growth almost always come from from from, from uh, places that government didn't really anticipate and and couldn't anticipate no not, you know uh, well, uh, I, well as I say a lot smarter people than me um, have looked long and hard at this question and, and and have maybe have some answers but they certainly haven't come up with any workable solutions yet.
0: Well, let's talk about um, kind of some of the things in, in your industry, uh, which is uh, you know the media, which has changed a lot of, over time. What was uh, what was it like reporting in in, in the early eighties, and what's changed, or the late eighties, and what's changed?
1: Well, almost everything. Um, I, the the industry as a whole is unrecognizable to uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I'd say I think newspapers newspaper readership newspaper employment uh, probably topped out in the 1980s but it was uh, you know at that time the uh, the Free Press and the Detroit News and uh, the Grand Rapids press were um, you know very influential I, um, I can remember being astounded. When I came to work at the Free Press, excuse me, before I went to Lansing, I I had an assignment to, to uh, talk to the state police about and the Department of Transportation about the old fifty-five mile an hour speed limit. You remember that one? Well, you you may be too young to remember
0: that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I famous <laughs> classic rock song
1: now. Yeah, it, it was among the. The silliest endeavors that government ever went through, but it was a very, you know, it was a major federal government initiative, and uh, and then highway transportation funding depended on making your motorists slow down to ostensibly save fuel, and and uh, I guess I don't know I don't know what the theory was about how that would lead to greater prosperity when it took longer to get anything anywhere or for people to move from place to place. <clears throat> but uh, uh, getting back to the question of media influence, um, the state police had noted it in this period, which was in the mid 1980s, that the motorists were increasingly ignoring the 55 mile an hour speed limit, and uh, and each year for I don't know five or six years, the average freeway speed had, had increased to, to where it was. It was well in excess of fifty-five miles an hour, and uh, they were trying to, trying to come up with ideas about it, and, and um, the state police initiated a big uh, air patrol, helicopters and and, uh, and light airplane patrols of the of the uh, of the freeways to uh, to slow people down and. Uh, when when the free press found out about this and made it, and we made it a fairly big deal, I remember we all had we had we had buttons made that said "speed creep," which was the, the uh, reference to people gradually putting uh, using the accelerator. And uh, but when we when we announced this initiative, um, within a week or so, I was at, at that time. Commuting on I-75 um, from Northern Oakland County to uh, Birmingham, and uh, within a week, I noticed that all the V after uh, after people started looking over their shoulders and up in the sky, I noticed that people were slowing down, <laughs> and it was essentially, I, you know, the I think that it was measured in some fashion that it did have a slight influence for. A, You know the state police couldn't keep it up because it was prohibitively expensive, so it disappeared fairly quickly. But uh, but uh, for a brief period, anyway, the the free press got everybody to slow down (laughs) on the freeways. Uh, That uh, (laughs) that sort of thing is just sort of unimaginable in today's media landscape. I mean, uh, there are no there are no dominant voices in media and. And uh, you know the consumption of of information, not always news, um, is is so fragmented and and uh, you know has has um, um, uh, you know gone in all kinds of different directions. Um, You know, local newspapers are are being eclipsed really, and uh, and the you know, the television stations reach the, the local broadcasts don't have nearly the audience they used to have. Um, you know, it's it's and, it, and it's just a very much smaller industry. Um, I You know, I I have mixed feelings about mm-hmm. that. I mean, it was it was, of course, uh, what, uh, ego gratifying, I guess, to. A part of what you thought was a powerful influencer. Um, we all know how important it is to be an influencer in today's world, and I, I guess it's a human sort of impulse. Um, but those days are are essentially over. There are no dominant media players anymore.
0: Mm. How do you? So, in addition to like. We're not all going to the same source to get our information about Michigan policy, uh, to the extent that people are ev- are even looking for that type of information. But there are just fewer people covering the uh, covering you know the Michigan yeah. Michigan policy world. And like, keep in mind, the people who are doing this are working really hard. Like they're putting out a lot of content for how, f- how few people they have. So I can't really uh, really. Uh, Really complain, uh, complain about them, but how do you think that has changed the policy debate?
1: Uh, well, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, I th- I think that, um, well, I think that the policymakers don't, um, don't. The the, the, the policy makers look to different sources today for uh, input. Um, there was a legendary editor at the Free Press named Joe Stroud, who was the editorial page editor for a decade or more, and he was sort of a uh, he was sort of regarded by very influential legislators as. He was the, the editorial page editor, the the opinion guy, and he was regarded by these legislators as a as sort of a sage, and uh, they would, um, you know, when they were grappling with a tough question of one kind or another, they would often, you know, have a extended sort of off-the-record conversation with him about how he viewed the political dynamics and the Wisdom of the policy and so on. I think today that role is is more often filled by um, by retired lawmakers, who many of whom stick around Lansing in the capacity of in in one capacity or another, either as administration officials or or uh, often lobbyists, so that they have specific. Mm-hmm. biases and interests that uh, um i you know in a i in a, in a in an ideal world that never really exists um wouldn't be as influential as they are but i don't know that I, well I, you know i and uh remember i'm i'm now ten years removed from uh daily uh, contact and observation of of how business gets done in Lansing. So it probably to get a sense of who the real power brokers are now would require uh, somebody that is is more of an insider today than I certainly am. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, it seems to me the consultants, the political consultants are uh, – are more powerful now than they were when I uh, first uh, um, started paying attention and and uh, I think probably each of these uh, each of the of the you know the the head, the the lead decision makers in the legislature and mm-hmm. and uh, the executive office I suspect they all have um, you know, a, a small circle of people whose judgment they rely on. Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't know whether they're getting better advice now or worse. It seems, you know, uh, we talked briefly about term limits, and, and uh, it seems to me that term limits had a far less dramatic effect on on overall. Uh, uh, you know, the o- overall performance of the, uh, either the executive or the legislative branch than we might have anticipated. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, that. well, people thought term limits were going to change a lot. Term limits have been blamed for an awful lot of things over time. Uh, but honestly, I think most of that is just kind of complaining that, um, uh, that bad policy is not more popular. Uh, most uh, most of the time, I see it's like, well, our lawmakers are not, you know, showing leadership. And by leadership, they kind of mean that yeah. this thing that I really like, that I think is a good idea, is not very popular, and our lawmakers aren't passing it. Uh, and honestly, I suspect that that was the case even back then. Lawmakers, it, like I don't care how long you've been there, you don't want to pass unpopular policy. Right. And, and uh, I, you know, certainly.
1: Certainly, there have been some embarrassments that arose from inexperience and uh, uh, inadequate vetting of of, uh, of people who managed to get elected. You know, the, certainly the makeup of the legislature is, is different than it was in the 70s and 80s. Uh, far fewer very old white men and— um, uh, you know, uh, you, you end up. I, you, the one thing that it did that didn't happen, I think, which was uh, saddening. You know, I, I really thought that the idea of the citizen legislature la- legislator was a worthy one, and that too often people in Lansing, people in you know, this, uh, this is uh, true on steroids in D.C. Um, have a narrow worldview that results from not having to, um, to to live in the world that they're making the rules for. And I had hoped that that you know mm-hmm. people mid-career would be able to take six years out of their lives and and uh, serve in the legislature and bring some some um, sort of uh, real world experience to the to the table that that's happened less than I than I thought it would. Well, uh, it has it has happened some, and of course you've got you have uh, you know more women now than uh, we did then, and and there uh, you know at times it seems like there's more young people. I'm not I'm not sure what the median age is anymore, but. I suspect it's lower than it was in 1988.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we're often told that uh, partisanship uh, these days is much more important and rancorous than it was in the past. What do you think? Well, there's certainly a, a good deal of rancor that, that
1: uh, wasn't, it may have, you know, it was certainly present. In the past, but not as big a part, maybe of the daily of the, of the of the of the essentially the working business. I, you know, the the. I, I mean, I, I have. I'm of, I'm of two minds on this. As in so many things, you know. I, after um, 30 to 40 years grappling with all of it, I'm. Uh, less certain about uh, what works and what doesn't work than I was when I started out. Um, the, the you know the, the the old the good old boys club that was so dominant in those early years was a bipartisan phenomenon, and uh, and I get I guess to a certain extent um a, a pretty substantial extent actually I, I didn't think that was terribly healthy i mean it seemed to me that that uh, you we were supposed to be having a a a, a debate a, a you know the the marketplace of ideas was supposed to be joined here and and hashed out and that and that by definition requires more than one side of every of a, of a question, um, I, you know that the, I, I don't know how these things can be accurately measured, you know, the, but it's it's sort of widely accepted today that the left is more left and the right is more right than it used to be, um, I, you know, I, but but I you know. As short of short of violence i don't uh i don't think it's necessarily um a bad thing to have very uh thoroughly staked out
0: yeah exactly. vigorous debates you know? Although, let's, I mean, let's talk about violence because I know from reading old newspapers, including a, an, an old article about fist fights in the legislature that you wrote, that, I mean, there used to be fights, uh, at least in the Michigan legislature. No, and I don't see that right. these days. That's a good point. Um,
1: I think it should be pointed out that, uh, that uh, um, the, the actual violence in the legislature that uh, cropped up periodically um, in those days was of a personal rather than a political nature, usually. I mean, the the, the two...
0: Yeah, yeah. We're not fighting over... We're not punching each other over ideas, <laughs> yeah. but personal the, slights.
1: The, 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 two, two of those incidents that yeah. uh, come first to mind when I think of them are... Uh, Uh, the two state senators from the Detroit area, Gil Danilo and uh, John Kelly, uh, going at it on the Senate floor. Um, And uh, I think it it may have been about ideas, but they were both Democrats at the time. I think Danilo later became a Republican. Um, And it was fairly short-lived and not terribly, you know, we we didn't have anything like the canings that, and brawls that they had in the Congress back in the 19th century. Um, and the other one that I remember was two, two again, two Democratic state representatives, uh, uh, Perry Bullard and uh, I'm, I've forgotten the name of a, There was a, a female representative from Detroit who, uh, as I recall, the, the issue was over Something to do with marijuana. Perry Bullard was an early sort of advocate for for a libertarian approach to uh, uh, drugs, especially marijuana. And and she she see this is an example of of, a, of, a, of a, a fracas that would never occur today. She picked up. They used to have these huge these big heavy ashtrays on the on each of the desks in the state house and she picked one up and clubbed him up the side of the head Uh, uh, but again they were both Democrats I you know it's and you know I think when people talk about violence today they're talking about mostly the political violence they're talking about events outside of the actual um, legislative or political arena they're in the in the sort of broader, you know, abortion clinics and um, the the storming of the Capitol, and uh, which was actually two years ago today, I think, um, or three years ago today. No, two years. By the ago. way, that's
0: that's a. a <laughs> I, but we were talking about just kind of some of the changes in the. Well, up- I, just, up- go I was going to say ahead.
1: that you know there have been some. Fairly spectacular um, instances, uh, you know that I, at least going back to the late '60s and early '70s hadn't been uh, a, a part of our civic life. It, you know the, the George Floyd riots and and the storming of the Capitol and and uh, you know um, uh, bombing of of uh, um, uh, pro life centers and all that kind of stuff uh, you know um it, it certainly seems to have ticked up and the rhetoric is you know through the roof in a lot of places and um i'm not i'm not uh i'm not opposed to 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 a uh, uh, vigorous debate as we said and and it can all often uh you know it's hard to separate um uh, you know, uh, truly, um, I don't know what inciting incite. You know, the 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 incitement of violence is 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 generally abhorrent. But it but it saying that you you know I I don't even think calling your political opponents evil is a should it should be prohibited in any way. It, it may not be very productive in a Persuasive way, but it it uh, certainly mm-hmm. um, is permissible in my view under the First Amendment, and 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 uh, you know, like uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes sometimes very strong language is necessary to make the point that that one really believes something. I'm not sure how we got onto that exactly,
0: but mm. <laughs> there, there you are. <laughs> well, I, I actually wanted to, uh, to, to close on, on, a, on a point that, that you made that was, it just shows how much things have changed as in there was a vi- like lawmakers committing violence to other lawmakers on the, uh, on the, uh, you know, right. in, in the actual chamber. Um, but what was unique about it is you said, they had ashtrays, and that's something that has changed completely. There's no smoking in the capital. There's this, uh, smoking is prohibited. We're not going to uh, we're uh, we're not going to uh, uh, to even give you uh, something that will allow you to uh, to smoke. That is something that has changed drastically over the past uh, yeah, forty years.
1: I. I um... I I have mixed feelings about that too. I so many
0: Well uh Don <laughs> At what
1: at one time the uh when when I first arrived at the Capitol it was a hoot, hoot to walk into the uh, I think they called it the the House Committee on Public Health or it was the Health Committee anyway. And the chairman was a guy named Mike Benane, who who smoked like a chimney the, <laughs> throughout every meeting. <laughs>
0: All right, Dawson. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on and helping us understand what's within the Overton window. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast from the Mackinac Center. Please subscribe and rate. For more, check us out at www.mackinac.org. That's Mackinac with a C, like the island.